podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. All right. How many of you guys ready to jump in the Word this morning? Amen. I'm excited. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. And I, this is going to be, this is going to be one of those kinds of mornings. I've got about 20 minutes, maybe 25. (laughs) Oh, Dan said 20. He said, no, you have 20. (laughs) He said 15. You have 15 minutes. (laughs) Genesis chapter 15. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> the 30. Yeah, ever gave me 30. Here we go. Uh, Genesis 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Imagine you stop right there. Don't be afraid, because I am your shield. Don't be afraid. Because I am your shield, I am covering you. I've got your back, and I am your reward. I am your portion. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my state is Eleazar of Damascus, who was Abram's servant. Customary to that time that if you did not have a child, then one of your servants would become a part of the surrogate, like a surrogate child, be part of the family, and they would receive the inheritance of your land and your estate. Verse 3, Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. See, I just said that. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside, and he said, I just love this. He took him outside. And he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Haley prayed those very words in her prayer today. Abram believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. That's a hard word to pronounce, credited He accounted it to him as righteousness. Verse seven, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him. He cut them in two. He arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. That would be disgusting. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. I love, I just, that verse, I don't know how many of you guys have been just students of the Bible or Christians for a long time, but I mean, I've now been following Christ for 30 years of my life. And that verse, then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. I always thought that to be really odd, such an odd verse. Maybe we'll touch on that. If not, just walk away going, that was really odd. That's an, there's an odd verse that we talked about today. Verse 12, as the sun was setting, 
Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Let's pray before we get too rowdy. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us today. We ask for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to bring insight and illumination and revelation and truth, truth of who you are, God, truth of who you are. Father, we know that we all approach the scriptures um, from our own location, from our own situatedness, from our own context. We approach the scriptures from our own experience, from our own life story, but we are asking today that where we all sit in our own individual and unique context, that today as truth is proclaimed, Father, that our hearts and our minds um, would be gravitated to an angle of truth today that reveals who you are, that reveals who we are, and Lord, that reveals how we can be faithful to Jesus in the Christian life. We pray these things by the help of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Um, I got a few minutes and today is gonna be one of those days where uh, I'm gonna go a little bit off the script because I had a lot of wonderful things prepared about uh, the mission of God. The living God is a missionary God because this chapter that we've just read here in Genesis chapter 15, it's, it's actually uh, a chapter that is set, it's located within a string of chapters beginning in Genesis chapter 12, where we're seeing some unique dynamics about Abram, who then becomes Abraham, and how critical Abraham is to our faith, the Christian faith. Now, the first thing that I want to say this morning is that our faith is a received faith. It is a received faith. The Christian faith is not something that is just a novelty. It's not something that we just make up. In fact, uh, in the earliest Christian centuries, like literally years after Christ was resurrected, uh, the, the theological method, if we could use that language, that the method at that time was not to try to find something new that was going to kind of shock and awe everybody. And for hundreds of years of the Christian faith and church history, the theological method was, let's not try to find something new. Let's not, let's not try to kind of wow everybody with new language and new terminology and new insights and new revelation. Uh, the theological method at that time was what is old can be trusted because it has stood the test of time, right? And so as we look backwards at church history, and I'm not saying that everything in church history was good or right, but church history is given to us to help us learn. And one of the things that the written account of scriptures, as Jonathan was mentioning, that we're going to learn more about in ASF, but the written account of scriptures is given to us to help us realize that everything in our faith is something that has been handed off from one generation to the next, okay? Beginning, literally beginning even with Adam, but particularly beginning with Abram. So in Genesis chapter 12, and we touched on this last week a little bit, in Genesis chapter 12, go there with me if you would. Genesis 12, Caitlin, verses one through three. We're gonna find that beginning with this one man, that the faith that you and I carry, the reason why we gather together today in the name of Jesus, one of the reasons why we gather together today and, and we can trust in the life-giving hope and love of Christ. We gather here today formed together by the power of the Holy Spirit. We gather together to respond to the love of the Father and the faithfulness of God. How did we get to this place? Well, we got here because countless people over thousands of years stewarded this faith. They stewarded it. They took care of it. They guarded it. They protected it, they nurtured it, they developed it, they grew it. 
And then they handed it off. They passed it off. They put it in the next generation of children. They shared it with friends, aliens, strangers. They took it outside the borders and the boundaries of their own geographical location through mission, through international missionary movements. And they made sure that like a, like a, like a hidden treasure map, they made sure that the value and the sacredness of this message was passed on. Let's take a look right here in Genesis 12. One, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. So the first thing that we find is that, is that part of this inherited faith requires obedience. That the faith is not just kind of a, a, a doctrinal set of beliefs. That the faith that you and I have inherited, it is a, it is a faith that must be lived. It is a lived faith, right? It's not just a mental faith. It's not just an intellectual faith. It is a lived faith. It is a faith that is lived out in obedience. And we find at the heart of our faith, the heart of the Christian faith, there is, there is this missional endeavor. I was reading on this book on theological method a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things that was so interesting that I had never really thought about before that this particular book was referencing is that the church does not just have a mission. Like it's kind of a side program that we tack on, right? Oh yeah, we go to Swaziland. If you have time for that, go ahead and try to work that in. If it's convenient, maybe you can join us at Mercy's Gate and you can share a meal with those who are less fortunate. If, it's, if, if, if it sits right, Maybe you can share the love of Christ with your neighbor. No, the church doesn't just have a mission. The church is missional in its very nature. Because we serve a God of mission, Jesus said this in John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Like mission is in the very DNA impulse of the people of God. And we find this right here even in the, in the kind of the founding father of our faith, the Christian faith inherited and, and morphed from the faith of Judaism, beginning with Abram, God says, hey, listen, I'm, I'm pulling you out of the comfort and the security and the convenience of your own home. And I'm calling you to come with me to a place that you know not of, but I'm with you. I'm with you. Watch this. Your people and your father's house, leave your family. Christy and I, as we were talking with the kids a couple of days ago, we were, we were uh, reflecting on the first generation of missionaries. And, and then as the missionary movement began to grow and it began to move from the coast to the interior, people like Hudson Taylor and People like William Carey, these guys were pioneers because they were taking the gospel and they were going beyond the coast. At the, up until that time, missionaries would, they would jump on boats, they would cross over massive bodies of water, and then most of their missionary activity would, would hang out right there on the coast. But then there was this missionary movement that says, what about the people that are living in the interior? The ones in the jungles, the ones in the bush, the ones where, the ones in the mountains, the ones in the rugged areas where there's not running water, where there is no electricity. And at that time, hundreds of years ago, missionaries would board boats because this was pre-planes and they would pack all their stuff 
Not in nice Samsonite luggage. Not in our sweet REI. Like, I mean, nowadays it's like we go on mission trips so that we can upgrade our gear, right? It's like, dude, I want to get those sweet Gore-Tex boots. Man, I got to go on a mission trip, dude. It's so easy to justify that. But in that day, you know what you packed your gear in? You packed it in a coffin. Yeah, you packed your gear in a coffin because you weren't planning on coming back home. It was a one-way ticket. Adoniram Judson, William Carey, David Livingstone. I mean, all these, all these guys, Jim Elliott, it was, hey, bring me the coffin. I'm gonna love and say goodbye because the love of Christ compels me to go to a place where his love is not penetrated. Our faith is an inherited faith, but our faith is also a missional faith. It is a missional faith. And everything that we do at the heart of everything that we do, church, from the table to the offering, to the worship songs that we sing, to the gospel that we proclaim at the heart of everything that we do, mission has to be at the center of it. At the heart of everything that we do. Now, in a few weeks, probably post-Easter, you're going to hear us talking about three words. Three words that are very important to Antioch. Awaken, equip, and send. And we can actually use these words uh, synonymously with three other words. For awaken, we can use the word encounter. Now, we like to come here, and there's this massive encounter movement that is going on throughout the United States and around the world, and it's amazing. I love it. I love houses of prayer. I love massive conferences where we worship for hours. I love that. And those are encounter environments where something inside of us is being stirred and awakened to the reality and the power dynamic of who God is, right? And so when we come together, there is, there is an awakening encounter dynamic or element that is at play every time we get together. It's why we pause and we create space and we say, okay, we're not just kind of blowing through songs, we're not just working through a set list. We're not just working through a, a church schedule. We're trying to tend to the living God to see what he's doing because he is at work in every single one of us and he is alive and he is personal and he is dynamic and he is moving. And so we're trying to pay attention to that. Okay, so that's the awakening encounter element. Now there's also what we call equip. There is a formational dynamic. God is forming us every time that we get together. You may not realize it, but years from now, you'll look back and go, man, I, I, I am formed. <laughs> there are things that I expect. There are, thing, there, there, are, there are attitudes that now that I carry into who God is. There are ways that I see myself. There are ways that I see the people of God that, have, that would have never been built into you had you not undergone a long arc of habits in a system of liturgy that is designed to help form us into the image and nature of Christ. Some of those things are not exciting, all right? Some of them can be a little dry and monotonous, but the goal of formation, the goal of equipping is not to awaken us. The goal is to form us. It's like getting your reps in. It's like sitting at the keyboard and just doing scales. God, shoot me, right? I hate that. I just hate it. It's just, right? Okay, but something's being formed. And now, Jonathan could do this in his sleep. 
Or it's like going out there and just running, running laps, running suicides. All right? Yeah, the groan, the groan. Buddy carries, okay? Get, move, moving the ball in and out of cones. I mean, whatever analogy you want to place this in, it's forming you. And it doesn't form you the first time or the second time or the third time, or the 200th time, but after a while, you look back and go, man, those plies used to kill me, but I can do them now. I can do thousands of them. It's no big deal, right? Because they're foundations, and the foundations are forming you. But there's another element to this Christian faith that is not just awakening in nature, that is not just formational in nature, it is missional. It is missional in nature. And one of the things that we see right here at the very beginning of our story, we find that there is awakening, that there is formation. We also find that there is mission. Come with me, Abraham. Come, where are we going? Come, let's go. What challenges are we gonna face there? Come, let's go. Come with me because I'm on the move. Because Abraham, you may not have realized this, But when I created humanity in my likeness and my image years ago, they made consequential decisions that now are are throwing the entire human race into disarray, degradation, deterioration, corruption, immorality. And you see that this is the context, Genesis 3 through 11. I mean, all of humanity, they're just falling apart. They're self-destructing because of sin. And so God is saying, listen, I'm I'm not gonna let this happen. I have a plan. I have a promise. Today we sang about promise. Today we prayed about promise. Today we we prophesied about promise. Human, the the, the Christian faith and, and promise are interlinked like this. And the promise that God gives as it relates to the faith of following Jesus, the promise that God gives always have some kind of missional component to it. Look right here at Genesis chapter 12, verse two. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. Look at verse three. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So at the heart of what God was doing with Abram, it was, there are peoples that are in the earth that are suffering the fallout of sin And I have to find an agent to bring redemption to the rest of humanity through. A lot of times what God is doing in us and what God is doing with us is not just for us. And and, and where where I think that if we're not careful, let me say it like this. The human heart is deceptively wicked. Deceptively wicked. The human heart is so deceptively selfish. It is so engineered towards ourselves that, that we'll even, we'll take things and we'll, we'll put spiritual language on them. We'll call them promises. And really at the heart of all of it, because we're so deceptively selfish and wicked that we'll take these things that are designed the promises of God that were designed to actually bring the life of God to marginalized, disenfranchised people globally, we'll take those and say, well, this is now justification to say things like, well, you know, I really deserve this. 
This is, this, these are the promises. I'm just being faithful. These are the promises of God. And where there may be an element where we will experience blessing, the promises of God are not just for our blessing alone. Every promise that God gives you, whether it's for the flourishing of your business, whether it's to yoke you up with a spouse, whether it's to bring you children, whatever that promise is that you're anchoring your hope and your faith into, it has a dynamic that is beyond you. So he's bringing it to you, but it's not just for you. And this right here is critical to our faith, and it's critical to the understanding, the theology of faith. Yes, God wants to bless you. I believe that. But what is the interpretation of blessing? And what is the manner or the method in which he blesses you, right? And when will he fulfill that promise? Let's keep reading in the, let's just, let's go back to Genesis chapter 15. I've got to bring this to a close. That's like, oh, that's all my, that's my, my, my intro. Intro and conclusion, no body. That's what this message is. <laughs> Genesis 15, look at verse six. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord. He believed the Lord. Now, a couple of thoughts here, really, really fast. Number one, it was impossible, right? Abram at this time was pushing 100 years old. I'm gonna bless you with a child. And not only am I gonna give you a child, Abram, but that child is gonna have children. Those children have children. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done with, you're gonna have so many kids that it's gonna look like the stars in heaven. You can't even count them. And Abram's sitting here going, this is impossible. And Romans 4 tells us, that against hope, like he's looking at that and going, there's no way. Yet, recognizing that this is impossible, he believed. And he didn't believe in his own faith. He didn't believe in his own ability to make something happen. He didn't believe in his own willpower. He didn't believe in his own strength. He didn't believe in it however many times he could go to prayer a day. He believed God. You said it. I believe you. I believe you. Now, it'd be nice if you could give me some, you know, some attaboys and some encouragement along the way. <laughs> it'd be nice if you could, you know, reaffirm that from time to time. But at the end of the day, God, I want you to know, if you said it, I believe you. And God says, that's righteous. That's the right way. That's the right way to live this thing out. That when I say it, that you believe me and you trust me. And you trust that I'm going to make this happen. Now, I want you to understand, let's go here. We, we've got to go here. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, we're going to go here to Hebrews 11, and then we're going to come to the table. And why don't we just start in Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll start with verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did his children, Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder 
is God. By faith, Abraham, verse 11, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered himself faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, be as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand in the seashore. All these people were still living by faith. When they died, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them. They saw them by faith and they welcomed them. They welcomed them at a distance. All right, every promise of the Lord, I say every, I I say every, most promises of God and most Old Testament prophetic activity has three dimensions to it. It has a past, present, and future reality to it. Okay, so we like to look at promises and because we are finite creatures and because, you know, we are deceptively, our hearts can deceive us, we automatically always look in what tense? Now. Okay, but if we look at Abraham, the promises that God gave him, he gave him three promises. He gave him the promise of children or posterity. He gave him the, children of, he gave him the promise of land. And he gave him the promise of a blessing. And God fulfilled all three of those promises to some degree in the historical, immediate arena of, of, of Abraham's life. You can come up, Jonathan. So God fulfilled a measure of those promises. He gave him Isaac. Okay. He directed him to a land. And then he said, Abraham, I'm going to enter into covenant with you and I will bless you. I will be your God and your people will be my people. Those three things God promised. And that was the historical immediate fulfillment of those promises. But every promise, or I say most promises, also have a present fulfillment that are found in Jesus and realized in the church. So let's, let's, let's think about this promise that he gave to Abraham. I promise you children. Now, unless you are a pure-blooded Jew, you're not a child of Abraham, but the scriptures tell us in Galatians 3 and Romans 4 and Ephesians 3, they tell us who are the children of Abraham? The followers of Jesus. So here is the present day fulfillment of that promise that God gave to Abraham. We are the fulfillment of that promise because we are children of Abraham in Christ. What else did God promise Abraham? He says, I'm gonna give you land. Hebrews chapter four tells us that there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. You know what that is? That's our land. That's our land. Scripture says that the meek will inherit the earth. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about a present fulfillment of that Old Testament promise. You guys can come forward. That Old Testament promise where we are receiving a type of land from God. Part of it is figurative in nature. And part of it is that we will be the future inheritors of the earth. Now, what's the third thing that he promised? He says, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you. Galatians chapter three tells us that we are no longer under the curse of the law for Christ became a curse for us and he redeemed us from the curse of the law. What does that mean? It means that we now live under the blessing of everything that Christ came to give us in salvation. So there's a present fulfillment, but guess what? There's also a future fulfillment. So we see a historical fulfillment. We see a present fulfillment in the church through Jesus, but we also see a future fulfillment. Scripture says in Revelations that when they were all standing around the throne, there was a multitude that could not be counted of every nation and tribe and tongue. 
when, when did that get set in motion? I mean, it's easy for us. We can hold the book in our hand and we've got Genesis through Revelation right here, but that spanned thousands of years and it's not even completely fulfilled yet. So we're living, we're living in a present dimension of the fulfillment of that promise, but we're living into the fullness of its fulfillment in our future. And there is coming a day because this faith is missional in nature that we're gonna be in heaven and we're gonna see people from Namibia and Niger and Burkina Faso and we're gonna see people from Colombia and Peru and we're gonna see people from North Korea in the name of Jesus. We're gonna see people from the Sentinel Islands that nobody even knew existed until a few months ago. They're gonna be there in fulfillment to a promise that God gave one person who stewarded that faith and the missional dynamic of that faith and carried it on. Did he doubt? Yes. Was he uncertain? Yes. Did it happen exactly when he wanted to? No. Did he hold on? Yes. Did he trust God to be faithful to what he promised? Yes. And this is the Christian life that we've inherited, that we steward and that we carry on. There was a land. There was a land that was promised to Abraham. And I'm telling you in our eschatological fulfillment, we will be recipients of the new Jerusalem. And we're gonna come back to a new earth. But there's also a blessing. God promised Abraham a blessing. And church, let me tell you that the blessing of eternal life and eternal fulfillment in Christ because of his obedience and covenant to God will be ours. The blessing of knowing God, the blessing of living as his people, the blessing of being transformed gloriously into new creations because of what Christ has done. Annie, I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. Thanks. This faith is a missional faith. This faith has a past, present, and a future dynamic to it. And as we gather every week, you know why we gather? We, we don't gather because it's convenient. We don't gather because it's sunny outside and not snowing. We don't gather because our favorite preacher or worship leaders, we gather as a prophetic witness to the promise. You know what happens every time that we gather? Scripture says that we're actually announcing both to the heavens and to the earth that the promise that God gave to Abraham, that he has entered into covenant with that and that he will bring, he is working its fulfillment and that he will bring us every time we gather together, it is a prophetic witness to the earth. Every time we gather. And that can be in this space, every time you gather in homes, every time you gather in playgrounds or in, in board meeting rooms or wherever that is, when the church gathers, they are a prophetic witness to what God promised to Abraham, that missional faith is being passed on. Father, today as we come to the table, we come as inheritors of faith. We come receiving a transferred faith. We come receiving a faith that was bled and died for. And Jesus, you entered into time and history. You entered into humanity. You became one of us. And you did that out of response to God's covenant with Abraham. And you did that out of response to the Father's love for all of humanity. Now today, wherever you are right now, I want you to know a couple of things. I want you to know that the Father loves you. I want you to know he loves you. I want you to know that he is faithful to his word. He is faithful to pursue you. He is faithful to find you. He is faithful to forgive you. He is faithful to restore you. He is faithful to cleanse you. He is faithful to make you new. He is faithful to bring you into relationship with him. He is faithful to himself. 
I want you to know today that wherever you're at in your journey with Jesus or wherever you're at in this journey of life, I want you to know that you are not alone, that God sees you. And I want you to know that his spirit is at work in your life. And I want you to know today that all you have to do in this Christian journey is believe God, believe him, because that is what righteousness is, not what you can do, not what you can perform, not what you can work up. Believe him. God, I believe you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die as a substitutionary atoning sacrifice in my place. I believe that you sent Jesus to purchase my way back into the family. I believe that you sent Jesus to cleanse me, body, soul, and spirit. I believe that you sent Jesus so that I could be in your family again. And we respond and we say, yes, God, we receive. And I'm going to invite you to come and receive Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.